Hey everybody, this is Ben Bowman and Reagan Canope. Welcome back to another episode of the Oregon Bridge. Now that the legislative session is over, it's time for Oregon's activists, candidates, and political committees to turn their attention to the 2024 elections. With government regulation of political activities becoming more complicated nearly every year, and with political actors increasingly initiating complaints and litigation to achieve political goals, having experienced legal counsel has become critical to success in the political arena. Harang Long PC has represented clients involved in candidate and ballot measure elections for decades. To learn more about Harang Long's political law practice, check out our website at harang.com. That's www.harrang.com. All right, folks, it took us seven takes, but we did the intro and it is August of 2023. So you must be wondering what is the topic this week? So of course it is the 2024 election season. So we posted a article on Oregon360.org that is titled A Way Too Early Look at the Scramble for Statewide Offices. And the reason why we did this piece now is because Tobias Reed, Oregon State Treasurer, has announced that he is going to run for Secretary of State. His office in at the state treasury was term limited. Secretary of State, because of Shamia Fagan's resignation, is now a wide open seat. And Ellen Rosenblum, the attorney general, has not yet announced her intentions, whether she will run again or not. So with Tobias entering into the race, we decided to do a piece on those three offices and what the landscape looks like for those three offices at this very, very early stage in the game. And I'll say just at the outset, Reagan, before we dive in, Basically, everything in this article is publicly available information that could be found from Googling or from Twitter or from the social media accounts of politicians or interviews they've done, et cetera, et cetera. Mostly what we've done is collate that and previous speculation. Like there's some names on here who've been speculated to run for office for many cycles now or who have run in the past. And we've kind of put that together just as a lay of the land of what it looks like for both parties looking ahead. What I'll say additionally is there's like 10 times more democratic names than republican names which i actually think is a reflection of reality (laughs) is that there's far fewer republican candidates at least with elected experience who are probably thinking seriously about these three statewide offices because of the track record of wins and losses reagan any introductory comments before we jump into the secretary of state's race no i think you covered it pretty well ben we're we're content curators here curating this content for our good subscribers who we appreciate very much. And I think your analysis on the Democrats and the weight on how many candidates are is accurate. I just don't hear a ton of chatter. There's a handful of names. Part of it is our lack of a bench, right, Ben? So we're in the minority in the legislature and that bench is a little bit more limited. We had a pretty expansive field for the governor's race this last time. 
but that's not always the case. And so I think it's just our bench building is lacking some. And so that means we have fewer names to throw out there. And then also the state, you know, leaning a little bit more democratic. There are actually just in sheer numbers, more Democrats that can run. So those are just a couple of contributing factors. And I also think I was thinking about this. Drazen emerged as kind of a late candidate in that primary she announced in like December. And so I think our candidates tend to wait a little bit more and see how the field shakes out. And especially the legislators, because in Republican, those are the only like positions that we hold is some of those like swing or rural red seats. And so for our candidates in those positions can jump in and clear fields pretty fast just because of that limited bench. And so I think they have the ability to wait a little longer. There's less competition. So with that kind of broad context, let's jump in. So we'll start with Tobias Reed. Tobias Reed, friend of the podcast. I think he's been on three episodes and we have invited him back on to talk about the Secretary of State's office. He announced that he is, well, so basically actually what he did is he refiled his political action committee on Orstar to be raising money for the Secretary of State's race. He said an official announcement is going to happen in September. Quick historical note, Clay Myers is the only person that I could find in my Wikipedia search who held both the office of Secretary of State and Treasurer, although he did it in the reverse order of what Tobias is trying to do. And this was in 67 to 77, he was Secretary of State, and 77 to 84, he was Treasurer. So Tobias Reed, I think most folks would agree, pretty strong candidate heading into Mm -hmm. the primary Spent a lot of money in a governor's race just recently. He did lose that race, but he was on TV a lot. And I think a lot of folks, he's going to start with a higher name recognition than virtually anybody who could possibly run against him in this primary. He does not have very much money in his pack right now. $38,000 is listed. And Reagan, you and I were talking about this. If it's a competitive primary down ballot statewide, probably half a million dollars ballpark, maybe more. Again, depending on the field and depending on the context. Um, in the last but, competitive primary, the one that I think it was, oh, sorry, this is two competitive primaries ago. I actually didn't look at that. I should have looked at the Haas and Fagan and Jay McLeod Skinner numbers. But the one, the primary that I remember better, weirdly, is the Hoyle, Devlin, and Avakian primary in 2016. And they were all half a mil or more. And so that's why I think that's a pretty good baseline. It's hard. No one's going to be able to spend governor's level money. I don't think anyone's going to have governor's level money. No one's going to have five, 10, 20 million dollars, probably. I think Tobias has the best chance to get there. But I think in all likelihood, most candidates are going to be 500 to a million. And then over a million, you're feeling pretty good. I think that sounds right. And then, I mean, the other dynamic here is like, this is just a primary. And the last time that the Republican Party was successful at the statewide level was the Secretary of State's race. So you don't want to spend all your money in the primary. And so interestingly, Tobias's advantage coming off of a recent but failed governor's race is similar to how Dennis Richardson was successful at the Secretary of State in his Secretary of State's race. I think in 2016, he ran an expensive and high profile race against John Kitzhaber, loses that race files to run for Secretary of State's office, basically says, hey, I promise I'm not going to do any of the social issue stuff that I ran on the, in there. That was part of the governor's race. I'm just going to do Secretary of State, you know, government oversight, audits, small business, whatever. He wins that race. So Tobias similarly benefits from being in a competitive governor's race. On the other hand, 
Christine Drazen finds herself in a similar position that Dennis Richardson found himself in in 2015, which is I think he was out of the legislature, right? Because he was a state rep. So he gave up his seat. Yep. Much like Drazen gave up her seat to run for governor. So she is one of the names that we listed as a potential candidate for this race, just because she followed that same model as Dennis Richardson. Drazen's Um, launched a political nonprofit, I think, mm -hmm. to stay in the conversation, stay active, continue to work with her strong donor base. And so I think she's staying in the conversation and I think she'll continue to be a part of the conversation. And because she got in that governor's race late, I don't think even if she says no, I think a lot of people will wait and see if she changes her mind or if she, you know, decides there is an opportunity. Maybe she sees how the Democratic field develops, if it looks more competitive or if Tobias is running away with it. I think those things will matter. Mm hmm. So some of the other names that we include on the Democratic list of potential candidates, we should note LaVon Griffin Velade will not be running. She has announced publicly the current Secretary of State appointed by Governor Tina Kotek. Deb Kafori, former Multnomah County Chair, current Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson, State Representative and House Majority Leader Julie Fahey, Mark Haas, former State Senator, Barbara Smith-Warner, former House Majority Leader James Manning, Senate President Pro Tem and State Senator. And I think there's a few other folks probably like that. We had that list of folks that were kind of speculated when there was a vacancy in the Secretary of State's office that included names like Richard Devlin. It included names of people from like further back. I think all those people are potential candidates. I just think Tobias's entrance probably makes it less enticing because I mean, he's already a statewide elected official, so he's not quite an incumbent, but he's like the closest thing to an incumbent as you're going to see. So the dynamic that I think the dynamic to watch here is the dynamic of the 2022 governor's race, which is major progressive groups that have lots of campaign money to give, lots of volunteers who can knock doors or make calls. They sort of consolidated around Tina Cota as a progressive candidate. So will those groups similarly identify a candidate and support that candidate? Or will they stay out or will some endorse Tobias? I think that that matters a lot in a Democratic primary. I think endorsements from progressive organizations are really important. So that's what I'll be watching in the primary. Okay, so Reagan, on the Republican side, we've talked about Christine Drazen. Ben, here's my thought. I think what's on the Republican side, it's kind of a quiet year, right? No U.S. Senate race, no governor's race. Candidates for Congress, except for the 6th District, are sorted out. I mean, you've got Travis Dreamer and Bents running again. Someone's going to run in the 6th Congressional District, right? I think what's happening is there's a handful of spots open statewide, and I think there's people who are just interested in running, and they're not particularly drawn specifically to treasurer, AG, or secretary of state. And this is kind of how we laid it out in the piece. I'm going to say it's mostly Ben. Ben wrote most of this. This is behind the scenes look, mostly Ben. But laid out very well. And there's names of people who could emerge in terms of likeliness to emerge. I would say Mark Thielman is going around. He's making speeches. I think currently he's in kind of talked about the secretary of state race to various Republican groups. He might stay in that race. He might switch. I don't know. Reagan, he also, I believe, I read an article that said he is a candidate to be the next superintendent of the Crook County School District. Thielman is a former superintendent, so I don't know if that matters. I don't know if like that he could. I, I think if he imagine. got that job, he would not be a candidate for an okay. office. And then you've got some former folks who ran for governor. I think some folks on this list 
wouldn't run for some of these lower offices and some would. So you think about Bud Pierce, Bridget Barton, Bob Tierman, Stan Pulliam, Bill Sizemore. I doubt Sizemore throws his hat in the ring for anything. He was a big surprise for governor. Didn't do very well. I think he probably won't make an attempt at that again. Kerry McQuiston's working on constitutional carry. And so what that is, is there's some states that have laws that basically say the constitution is your permit to carry a concealed firearms. You don't have to do additional paperwork at the state level and whatnot. So anyway, they've got that ballot measure going. Been some challenges I hear through the grapevine and the Republican Facebook groups, such as circulating signature sheets before they were approved. So that is (laughs) might pose a challenge for that particular ballot question and getting the enough signatures. We'll see. But I think, you know, Carrie McQuiston is out there. She has a, a contingent of a following in Eastern Oregon. So she's a potential candidate that could run for one of those offices. I don't know folks in the Tiernan camp or the Barton camp, but my guess, my educated guess is they probably won't run. So I think where you're potentially actually to see some candidates could be from the legislature, folks who want to exit the legislature and either take a run at statewide office and either hopefully win or then have the opportunity to go back to private life if they don't. That's a path that some folks have taken because these races, I mean, they're the Democratic advantage statewide makes it hard to say that there's a obvious opportunity to win. And so it's like it's kind of considered like a, a one in three chance if you run a really good campaign. I think kind of in the Republican camp, if you're looking at it fairly, I think the person who has the best opportunities, like someone like a Drazen, who's just spent a lot of money and has strong name ID and on TV. It seems like this is the type if you're a Republican, and I'm just like thinking of this right now not an original thought either in order to win even if you do everything right and run a perfect campaign and raise all the money you need to raise you are still likely to lose like you need things outside of your control i think that's very true in order to i think that's very true and then there's the interesting piece of this and usually the senate is a place where you'll see candidates you saw kim thatcher a couple years ago run for secretary of state and she got a free pass at it right because she doesn't have to give up her senate seat because she's out of cycle so we've had some candidates from senate This year, we also have the added dynamic of the Measure 113, where some of those candidates may be barred from running for re-election to the legislature, but not to statewide office. And so maybe there's some, you know, they've got some credibility with the base that they can pivot into a run for a statewide office. And so you might see someone, once the Measure 113 legal stuff gets worked out, you may see candidates come from there. So I think that on our side, it's just going to be late developing um, for a lot of reasons. So let's move to the state treasurer's race. So Tobias Reed, again, constitutional officer. So treasurer, secretary of state, governor, all term limited to two terms. Yep. Labor commissioner, attorney general, not term limited, can run for forever. Treasurer is term limited. So Tobias can't run again. Only one candidate has filed so far. He has not held previous elected office. His name is Brett Baker. His occupation is president of the springboard group which is a 501c4. He's also served on the board of the Portland Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce, formerly the Portland Business Association, and the Oregon State Police Foundation. He personally gave some money to Julia Brim Edwards and Betsy Johnson, but the Springboard Group, that group that he is the president of, has given a ton of money to legislative and statewide candidates over the last few years, and notably to Democrats and Republicans and Independents. Uh, mm-hmm. including over $250,000 that went to Betsy Johnson, independent candidate for governor. Interesting. And I think that that giving will come up if Brett makes a serious run at this in the primary, especially. I just think, I think that on the Republican side, and my guess is the same on the 
Democratic side support for Betsy Johnson is probably something that gets discussed in a primary that voters have to weigh whether or not it's something that is acceptable to them. I think the answer for some voters is going to be no. And for some voters, it's going to be they don't care. So I think that's an interesting dynamic. I think that's totally right. You can totally imagine a mail piece or an attack ad on TV <laughs> highlighting support for Betsy Johnson. Yep. So Brett Baker has an interesting, like, if you do a Google search, you'll get an article written by Jeff Manning for the Oregonian called Trustee and Family Locked in Fight for Control of ADEC After Patriarch's Death. So I did not know anything about this until I came across the story, and it is truly fascinating. So ADEC is this gigantic, successful, I think, medical or dental supply company. And the guy who was like the patriarch of the company passed away and like at some point so his son-in-law the patriarch's son-in-law is running the company he's the ceo but right before he dies or sometime before he dies he appoints baker to be the sort of executor of the estate and there's this disagreement between the family who supports they're all kind of together the surviving family members and then baker is kind of at odds with the family and there's these like manning outlines how they're both trying to replace each other on the board of directors and it seems like it was this really messy situation i don't know what happened so that was in 2019 i don't know how that story ends i don't know who won control it does seem like baker no longer is with adac seems like he's now with the springboard group but just an interesting story the only thing uh, I, I can hear, Ben, is the succession theme playing in my head. It just sounds like an episode <laughs> of succession. And I like I need more details now, Ben. Great, great television show. As I was thinking about this, I went to the Wikipedia page for Oregon State Treasurer. Interestingly enough, Clay Myers, the last treasurer, he was the 22nd treasurer of Oregon. We've had 29 total. He was the last treasurer to not have served in the legislature before being treasurer. No kidding. So you had Bill Rutherford and Tony Meeker, the last two Republicans hold that office. And then Jim Hill, Randall Edwards, Ben Westland, Ted Wheeler, Tobias Reed all served in the legislature. And so I think that if I were to make a prediction, it would be a legislator <laughs> who runs will win. It seems to be a consistent stepping stone here. So and we've kind of outlined like two types of legislators who might be like a good fit for what the office actually does. Type yep. one is like the business owner legislator, people like Representative Daniel Wen, Representative Janelle Bynum was rumored as a business owner to be interested in this office. Of course, she's running for the fifth congressional district. And then the other is like the budget folks in the legislature, people like Senator Elizabeth Steiner, Representative Tana Sanchez, the two co-chairs of the Ways and Means Committee. And then Representative David Gomberg is kind of a little bit of both. He's a former business owner and vice chair of the Ways and Means Committee. That being said, I don't. there's no requirements, I don't think. Like, you don't have to have an MBA or anything like that to serve as treasurer. So anyone could run for this office, unlike attorney general, which I assume you have to be a lawyer to be. Reagan's going to fact check that by the time we get to the attorney general's office. Maybe. Um, a little historical context here. So before Tobias Reed, the last treasurer was Reagan. Do you remember? Ted Wheeler. I was just Ted on the Wikipedia Wheeler. page, Ben. That was an unfair advantage for me. And do you remember what Ted Wheeler's job was before he was appointed treasurer? No, I don't, Ben. But I think that you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you that he was the chair of the Multnomah County Commission. So what? The I say Yes. No, uh, I do not remember that at all, Ben. That does not make sense in my brain. He was the chair <laughs> of the Multnomah County Commission? 
I'm pretty sure that's right. You can fact check me. Hopefully I'm correct. But the reason I bring that up, if my memory serves, is it doesn't have to be a legislator. It could be. Holy uh, smokes. You're right, Ben. He served also, one term and then also, he went to be mayor. I'm so confused by that. Which also undercuts your has to serve in the legislature things now that we're talking about this. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. I missed Wheeler didn't. Oh, I'm so silly. I just assumed that he was in the legislature before and I was wrong. Never right. served in the legislature. Look at that. Uh, Clay Myers, not the last treasurer to not serve in the legislature. is Ted Wheeler, the last one. All right. Good work, Reagan. So there's also folks who have never held public office, like Brett Baker, who could run for this position. Another name that you see frequently mentioned in reporting over the years for mayor of Portland, state treasurer, governor, is Rukaya Adams, who is now the CEO of the 1803 Fund, which I believe is the organization that secured that really massive investment from Phil Knight in the Albina neighborhood. And she's a former chief investment officer at Myra Memorial Trust. But importantly, she was also the former chair of the Oregon Investment Council, which plays a huge role at Treasury and guiding the state's investments. So I'm sure there are other candidates like Rukai. The challenge for folks like Rukai Adams and Brett Baker and people coming from outside of politics and even some positions in politics is right now it is a pretty substantial pay cut, I would imagine, for most of those folks. This is a job like the other statewide jobs, I think it's like $77,000 a year. So they will have to make a personal financial decision. That being said, all three of these jobs, Reagan, I believe would be impacted by the potential salary commission that voters will be voting on in the 2024 yep. election. So yep, all number... these offices are included in that. So Reagan, there's a couple names floating. Well, I don't even know if they're floating. They're potential candidates on the Republican side. What do you think of those names? Or can you talk about who they are? Ben, I was attempting to fact check our attorney general point. We may have to come and follow up in a different episode. But now I'm back on our list. I would say in terms of the Republicans, you have folks like Treasurer is, we've had Jeff Goodman run a couple of times. And so there hasn't been a bench of folks that have run. He had the name ID and the backing. And so Goodman's been kind of the default Republican candidate for the last two. And so that's eight years. And so for a decade, Republicans have only seen his name there. So I think that there's, you know, the potential. Certainly there's a large pool of Republicans to draw from in the business owner camp, right? Mm -hmm. We have a handful of folks on budget stuff that have been consistent budget wonks, as you may call them in the legislature. None of them have struck me as likely candidates for treasurer, but that could easily change. And so I think for treasurer is actually a tricky one for the Republicans. But we should also say uh, it could be a, mis a little bit misleading the way that we talked about it. The treasurer is, does not have a role in crafting the state budget. Oh, Which yes, I, I think is confusing to some people who might not follow Oregon politics super closely because the name treasurer implies like budget stuff, but not how it works, at least in the state of Oregon. Power of the purse is typically held in the legislative branch, Ben. Yes, correct. Although I think treasurers in some other states might have a little bit more. Oh, interesting. Uh, I don't actually know. Uh, maybe we'll uh, stop speculating, Tobias. Ben. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll ask Tobias about that next time we talk to him. All right, the final office that we are here to talk about this evening is the Office of the Attorney General. And I think the important, really important caveat here is the incumbent Attorney General, Ellen Rosenblum, has been in office for 10 years. I don't think she's perceived as a vulnerable incumbent, at least not widely. I think she'd be very tough to beat if she ran again. She's the first woman to ever hold that office in this state. She consistently challenged the Trump administration in court and oftentimes won. 
She's been a staunch defender of Oregon's abortion laws. So that all being said, she's 72 years old. She's got $65,000 in her pack. She might not run again. She served for 10 years. That's longer than the eight years max that's allowed for the constitutional offices. And if she doesn't run, the natural place to look would be attorneys, lawyers who serve in the legislature. That list is as follows. And this is, I think, a complete list on the Democratic side, but I am not 100% sure. So Speaker Dan Rayfield, Senate Majority Leader Kate Lieber, Representative Jason Krupp, Chair of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Floyd Przanski, Chair of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, Representative Emerson Levy, Representative Nathan Sosa, Representative Tom Anderson, and Representative Ken Helm. I am guessing, I'm sure there's probably some other attorneys who might be interested, but I'm guessing that the candidates would come from that list. I think you know, that'd be an interest. I know Hardy Myers served in the legislature. Ellen Rosenblum actually did not serve in the legislature. She was a judge and she ran against Dwight Holton, who was a former U.S. attorney for the District of Oregon, so a federal prosecutor. So actually several different backgrounds where you could see a candidate emerge for this office. On the Republican side, there is a candidate. Reagan, who's the candidate? Will Lathrop, who worked in the Marion County district attorney's office and he's been doing the republican group circuit and putting in the work and so early on he seems to be the possible early republican consensus pick the only thing that would upset his path there is if a republican lawyer from the legislature jumped in as i said they have the ability to get an early head start with the name recognition not statewide because typically legislators don't have strong statewide name id but they do have a lot of contacts and do well in the invisible primary, which is endorsements and fundraising. And they're typically easier to get in front of the base too. And the base may have seen their name, you know, pop up if they've been a little bit more active and watch the legislature. So you've got folks like Kevin Mannix and possible that he's been a candidate for attorney general before. I need to go twice. back and look twice. He's been a candidate you, twice in 1996 as a Democrat and in 2000 as a Republican. And I think part of the reason he shifted, I don't know this, but I think part of the reason he shifted was the way that the Wikipedia article, again, I was not around or, or I was around, I wasn't paying attention as a four-year-old in 1996. He was like the early candidate and it seemed like he, he was a moderate Democrat. Maybe moderate is yep. even a generous term because I think he's always been pro-life. Um, he's been a pro-life Democrat and he's been a tough on crime Democrat. And that's been pretty consistent throughout his career. So that's who he was. And he made clear to everyone he's running for attorney general and then what it sounds like is a bunch of progressives recruited and they're like, we don't want him to be our nominee. And they rounded up Hardy Myers and Hardy Myers went on to be a historic. I think he's the longest serving attorney general in the state's history. Again, lots of things that are being said that should have been fact checked. <laughs> and so he wins. He wins the primary, wins the general election. Kevin Mannix then changes to be a Republican, challenges Hardy Myers as a Republican nominee in the year 2000. And again, Hardy Myers wins this time a lot more narrowly at the statewide race than the margin in the primary. Real-time um, update, Ben, and I knew this, but didn't think about it. So our listeners can fact check us, but I believe there's two things. The reason that the AG and Bully do not have term limits is because they're created by the legislature. They're statutory. They don't exist yep. in the Constitution. And then the Attorney General... As far as I can tell, reading over those statutes, no requirement that they are a member of the state bar, which means there's no requirement that they be a licensed attorney. The statute actually just gives the attorney general the authority to appear. And then 
later on, the legislature created the Department of Justice. Now, all the people who work and perform legal work in the Department of Justice have to be state bar licensed. And so those folks, as they appear on behalf of the attorney general, will all be lawyers. But there's no requirement, it appears, that the attorney general themselves be a licensed Oregon state bar attorney. And theoretically, that person could appear themselves and argue cases and stuff. That is super interesting. And it is hard to imagine a non-lawyer getting elected to that. It feels like that'd be a pretty significant campaign issue, but that means anybody can run. Reagan, let us know if you're planning to run for Oregon Attorney General. Ben, quick update. Uh, I'm not planning to run for Attorney General, but (laughs) thank you for thinking of me. Scratch Reagan off your list. I just added myself to the candidate tracker and then I just removed myself from the candidate tracker. (laughs) So real-time updates happening here today. All right, folks, thank you for listening along tonight. As you can tell, it was a bit of a loose podcast. Uh, We're recording this late in the evening after Reagan's children are safely asleep in bed, we hope. They are in bed, Ben. No one has come in to disturb, which means they're probably (laughs) sleepy. We had youth group tonight where they got to play a lot of games outside. We played uh, kickball, and so they're pretty tired. That is a great parenting tactic, I'm sure. Tire the kids out before bed. Any closing thoughts, Reagan, on the scramble for statewide office in 2024? I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic in the months ahead. I think that it is, I always encourage these kind of, the presidential election sucks all the oxygen out of the room, but these are super important. State treasurer, secretary of state, attorney general, they perform very real, very important work, and it does affect Oregonians' lives. And so I encourage people to, you know, if you're grossed out by the presidential election or you're just like, look, I don't want to deal with it right now, take a look at these lower offices. You'll find, especially the AG race, the treasurer's race, secretary of state race, Those are going to be more focused on the issues. People get frustrated with getting stuck in these kind of partisan battles. I think you'll see some of that still. It bleeds over, but these are much more issue-focused and skill-focused positions. And so I think you get a lot more of what people are asking for, which is less of the partisan fights and more of the, like, who can do the job the best? Who's got the qualifications? Who wants to do good government? And I think that those folks tend to win those elections. And so I think that that's one of the things that were highlighted for me as we were going over these is it kind of really, it takes you down. These are nuts and bolts positions that do really important things, right? You've got the state treasury and that's like the moving of the money, the investment of yeah, where should we retirement invest? funds, yeah, PERS dollars. right? And that's, yeah. those are questions where if you get the wrong answer, the results are catastrophic, not that they're not in other situations. And then the Department of Justice does a lot of important things in terms of protecting people from crime, from consumer protections and things like that. Do you want someone who's going to sue the federal government or not? Like, which cases are you going to choose to appeal if you lose in the lower court? Like all those decisions, they're not often not made by a single individual, but that individual has an outsized impact on the decision. And Secretary of State, audits, elections, archives, business... I think there was a fifth one I'm missing, but, you know, super important. So, All right, folks. Thank you. Thank you for listening. My final plug is if you are a candidate for one of these offices or plan to be a candidate, let us know. We would love to talk to you on the podcast and give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners. Otherwise, thanks for listening. Subscribe on YouTube. Buddy Terry, our producer, demands it of you. Uh, Give us a five-star rating on podcast platforms. We haven't asked you to do that for a while. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everyone.